Thanks for listening to the Sugar Hill Church Podcast. To hear more sermons and to find out more about our church, please visit sugarhillchurch.com. By show of hands, how many of y'all have done something really dumb? Show of hands, anybody done anything really dumb? <laughs> Both hands? <laughs> how many of y'all are sitting next to somebody that's done something dumb? Anybody? anybody you know, a lot of pointing going on. That's not right. I expect you at the altar at the end. <laughs> That's not right. Well, I was thinking about this last week. And so last Sunday, Pastor Chuck talked about amazing, right? He kept going amazing, 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 amazing. And right after the service, everybody walked up and said, Chuck, that was just so amazing. It was so amazing. But as I was reflecting on 2013 and just thinking over my life in general, there's some things that were pretty unamazing. Are y'all with me on that? There's some things that I did that were really, really dumb. Have y'all done dumb things, right? I remember when I was in college, here's one of the dumb things. When I was in college, I thought it would be a great idea that when my friend went in to pay for the gas that he just pumped, I thought it'd be a great idea to move his car without him knowing it. And so my great idea was I'm sitting in the passenger seat. He just, he finished pumping. He's went in to get gas. I'm just going to sort of reach over with one foot. I'm going to reach over. I'm going to try to drive his car from the passenger seat. What I didn't realize is he wasn't finished and there was still a nozzle in the gas tank. And so about five feet later, you hear, and I broke the gas pump. That was not amazing. Anybody done anything like that? Not amazing, right? Not amazing. Another time in college, uh, we had sort of this ice storm come through the Memphis area. And so we were sort of stuck in the house for days and days and days and days. And, you know, the news reports are saying, don't get out and drive. If you don't have to go anywhere, stay home. But I thought it'd be amazing to get out of the house. I thought it's about time to get out. Let's go do something. Even though there's still ice, even though it's still slick, all that stuff. I thought it was just drama on TV. So I thought it'd be amazing if I just showed what a man I am and just get out and go somewhere. And so I went to pick up one of my friends who lived around the corner from me. And uh, the problem is his driveway is a giant hill and it was just covered with ice. And so I knew for me to get up his driveway, I would have to keep some pretty good momentum. I'd have to go pretty fast to come down a hill and then come up his driveway. And here's the problem with the story is right in front of his driveway was a road. And so I'm coming in on a road that's supposed to stop at this supposed to supposed to stop at this other road. You get what I'm saying? And so I thought it'd be amazing. Well, I can't stop at the bottom of this hill because I've got to go up his hill. Nobody ever drives this road, so it's not gonna be a big deal. Nobody ever drives this road. So I'm thinking, all right, I'm gonna go pick him up. I know better than the news, I know better than mom and dad, I know better than everybody. I'm just gonna go. And so I come down the hill. I have no intentions of stopping at the stop sign because nobody comes anyway, not a big deal, right? And so as I'm coming down the hill, too late to stop. It's just ice. Here comes the UPS truck delivering more Christmas presents. Not amazing when you nail the back end of a UPS truck and cause $3,000 worth of damage on your car and just a little scratch on their truck. You know what I'm saying? That was not amazing. So we've all done dumb things, haven't we? we? We could go around the room and we could talk about the silly things that we've done. And some of them would be funny. I mean, sometimes you capture them on video. If you've ever watched America's Funniest Home Videos, that whole show is just about people doing dumb things. Who thought it'd be a great idea to put a blindfold on a kid and give them something sharp to poke around the room, right? It's just not not amazing, not amazing. But one of the problems with that is that if you begin to back away, there's a lot of serious things that where we where smart people make bad decisions, aren't there? I mean, you just look at the headlines, you look at the news over the last couple of years, you hear about generals who have 
top secret clearance. Generals that, that command uh, uh, armies of people and yet they make dumb decisions. They make dumb decisions. They get up in an illicit relationship outside of marriage. They end up divulging secrets. It's just, it's not what it should have been. Or we see it in CEOs, people that are smart people, people that know better, people that have great influence, and yet they make a bonehead decision. And so this morning, what I want to do is I want to look at the story of a guy in scripture that illustrates this principle. Because as we end 2013 and we begin to look into 2014, the truth is a lot of this, a lot of us in this room, we could have been more amazing. A lot of us in this room could have been greater. A lot of us in this room could have accomplished more, but even though we're smart enough, even though we're bright enough, even though we had a lot of good details, if we would be honest, a lot of us had made some bad decisions. And so what I want to do this morning is I want to take a negative example from Scripture, hopefully to give us a, pro, a, a, a positive principle to say what happened in the past doesn't have to define 2014. The story is found in Judges chapter 13. Judges chapter 13, if you're following along, I'll invite you to turn there. But in Judges 13, we meet a guy that could have been amazing. We meet a guy that could have been incredible. We meet a guy that could have done a lot of good things and yet he wasted it away. See, if you don't know the background of the book of Judges, it really centers around judges, people that God put in an office, not like Judge Judy, not like Judge Joe Brown, not like those kind of judges, but to be a deliverer. See, what happens when you read the book of Judges, one of the things you learn about God's own people is they were hard-headed. They had seasons where they followed God. They had seasons where they submitted to God. They had seasons where they focused their heads and their hearts, their lives on the Lord. But those seasons were often followed by a hard-headed moment where they knew better, but they chose not to do better. So what happens all throughout the book of Judges, the, the snapshot of the book of Judges is that over 40 times the nation of Israel comes close to God. The nation of Israel then begins to back away. The nation of Israel then gets judged. God says, all right, if you're going to back away from me, I'm going to allow the enemy to come and capture you. And so they come close to God. They fall away. God allows the enemy to capture them. And so they experience a season of slavery. They experience a season of enemy rule. And then in the middle of that enemy rule, somebody cries out for help. The nation says, God, would you help me? God, would you break us out of this? And so God sends a judge. God sends a deliverer. And so for a while, they follow God. For a while, they, they do what God called them to do. And then they start the cycle again where they back away. They do their own thing. They get captured by the enemy. They become slaves to the enemy. They cry out, God, would you help us? God raises up a judge. He delivers them. And then they live for God for a little while. And then they start the cycle again. And if we'd be honest, we've seen that cycle in our own lives, haven't we? Where we come close to God. We say, God, I'm never going to do that again. God, I'm not going to live that way anymore. And then over time, if we're not careful, we get stuck. And so in Judges chapter 13, the nation of Israel is in one of these stuck moments. In chapter 13, they are enslaved to the enemy, the Philistines, and God sends a judge. If you have your Bibles, look at it. Judges chapter 13, verse 1, it says this. Now the sons of Israel again did evil in the sight of the Lord. This phrase happens over and over and over again. They again did what was evil in the sight of the Lord so that God, uh, the Lord gave them into the hands of the Philistines for 40 years. 
So for the next 40 years, because they've turned their backs on God, for the next 40 years, God's allowing judgment to take place. The Old Testament is this way where God says, if you obey me, I will bless you. But if you disobey me, I will bring judgment. And so here's what happens. God allows judgment. But in the middle of this, look down at verse 3. An angel shows up. An angel goes to a couple. An angel goes to this man and this wife who have no kids and are unable to have kids. And listen to what this angel says, verse 3. Then the angel of the Lord appeared to the woman and said to her, Behold, now you are barren and you have bore no children, but you shall conceive and give birth to a son. And we begin to meet this guy, Samson. If you're taking notes, I'm going to invite you to write down a couple of truths that come right out of the story. Truth number one about Samson is he was created with a unique design. He was created with a unique design. So here's the nation of Israel in 40 years of slavery. Here's the nation of Israel wondering, is there any hope? Is there any help? And in the middle of that moment, this angel of the Lord shows up and says, you're going to give birth to a son. But listen to verse five as it, as the angel describes the son. For behold, you shall conceive and give birth to a son, and no razor shall come upon his head. For the boy shall be a Nazarite to God from the womb, and he shall begin to deliver Israel from the hands of the Philistines. Here's what the angel of the Lord's saying. The angel shows up and says, you're going to have a son, but you're not going to have just any son. You're going to have a son that's going to be separated from birth. To be a Nazarite meant that somebody, usually just for a season of their life, usually just for a period of their life, would be a Nazarite where they said, you know what, I'm going to stay away from anything that might defile me. I'm not going to cut my hair. Physically, you could see that spiritually they were consecrated. They were set apart from God. And so here's what this angel says. You're going to have a son. He's going to be a Nazarite. But he's not just going to be a Nazarite for 10 years, for 20 years, or even 40 years. He's going to be set apart for God for the rest of his life. You see how unique that is? Here's an angel saying, you're going to give birth to a son. And his whole life is to be defined by who God is. His whole life is to be dedicated to God. And listen to the purpose that the angel says. The reason why I am giving him, the reason why God is sending, giving you a son. Why? So that he can deliver Israel from the hands of the Philistines. That was his design. He was designed to do that. And if you know the story of Samson, we'll talk about it here in a second. But if you know the story of Samson, Samson spent his life fighting that design. Samson spent his life pulling back against that design. Samson spent his whole life knowing, because his parents told him, knowing that he was set apart from God, and yet he spent his life running from him. And here's what I want to say to all of us this morning, myself included, is that you were created with a unique design. You were created with a unique design. God placed you on this earth for a reason. See, a lot of times I'll speak at camps and I'll, and I'll hear a student come up and they'll say, well, well, I don't know if God really has a plan for me. I, I, I was an accident. And what I say to students, and I would say it to anybody in this room, is you're not an accident. You're not an accident. You may have been unplanned in your parents' eyes, but you were not unplanned in God's eyes. See, when God placed you on this earth, God placed you here for a reason. 
There's a reason why you and I are here. There's a reason why we exist. There's a reason why we're still drawing breath because God placed us here for a purpose. And here's what I really believe comes right out of scripture is that every single person in this room has a purpose. Every single person in this room has something where you see the fingerprints of God on your life. There is something that you are designed to do. What happens so often in our lives, if you look over the last 12 months, or maybe it's the 12 years, or your whole lifetime, is what happens is we sense it, we hear it, but we don't live like it. We don't live like it. If you're taking notes underneath that first point, let me just break it down a little bit further. For, for the people in the room that are saying, yeah, but Bobby, you don't know me. I mean, you're on the platform. I'm sitting here. You don't know that God has a plan for my life. Well, here's what I know. A, if you're taking notes, just write this down. God's desire is that you would know him. God's desire is that you would know him in a personal way, not just about him, not just facts, not just uh, some little trivia, but that you would have a real personal relationship with him where you, where you daily depend on. That's God's plan. The scripture says that God is not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. So A, God's plan, God's design, God's dream for every single one of us is to know him. B, God's plan, God's desire is that we would follow him in obedience. God's dream is that we would obey him, that we wouldn't just know stuff and then do something else, that we'd memorize stuff and not live it out. God's plan is that we would live in obedience to him. See, God's plan is that we would tell others about him. The plan of God since the very beginning has always been that his people, that his followers would be consistent in telling other people about him. And the last one that I'll put, have you write down, there's so much more we could say on this, but D God's plan is for us to serve him. God's plan is for us to serve him. That every single person that is a follower, God has placed ability in your life. God has created you for a reason. Your life has a purpose. There's a sense of destiny attached to your life that if you don't do it, there is a hole in eternity because you've been fighting it. So big point number one is you were created with a unique design. And then point number two about Samson's life is he had unbelievable demonstration of this. He had unbelievable demonstration. Samson's life was unbelievable. Samson's life really was amazing. Samson was a guy that was not like any other guy. And and a lot of times when I think about what Samson looked like, I think about this big, strong guy. Scripture doesn't say that. But when you look at his life, he did amazing things. I mean, if you read through his story, and it's found in chapters 13 through 16, you read about him doing unbelievable things. Uh, there's a point in his life where he fights off and kills a lion with his bare hands. Have you done that recently? I mean, this guy's tough. He kills a lion with his bare hands. There's a point in his life where he takes 300 foxes and he captures them. He ties their tails together. Now think about that. Not just one, not just two, not three. He takes 300 foxes, ties their tails together, and he lights them on fire and lets them loose. I wonder what that fox says. You know what I'm saying? I mean, that was that's so wrong. Y'all want to sing it? No, that's wrong. The service just went downhill. But think about this guy. I mean, he captures these fire. He lights their tails on fire. They take out. So the fire spreads and wipes out the crops of the enemy. At one point in his life, he takes the jawbone of a donkey and he kills the enemy with it. This guy does unbelievable things. 
But the problem is, he did those things for the wrong reason. Here's a guy that was created uniquely. Here's a guy that had purpose and destiny on his life, just like you and I have. There's something that God created you to do. But here's what happens in Samson's life. He doesn't get the fact that his power is supposed to be a tool for him to build with, that his power is to be a weapon to fight the enemy with. Instead, he treats it like a toy. And there's so many of us that are guilty of taking what God has given us. God's given every single person in this room a platform. And the reason why he's given you that platform, whether it's a stay-at-home mom, whether it's a retired person, whether it's somebody serving in the armed forces, whether it's a school teacher, whatever your job, maybe you're a successful businessman, whatever God has given you, the reason why God's given you that position is because that position is to be a platform to serve the king. Yeah, Bobby, I, I, I don't work at a church, but Bobby, I work in a secular office, but Bobby, I stay at home. But Bobby, and you can go down the list and every single time I come back to say, God has you there for a reason. And what happens too often in the lives of people is they take what could have been amazing and they squander it. They take the platform that God's given them and they waste it away. They think that their platform is just about making more money. They think their platform is just about having a more comfortable life. They think their platform is just about playing it safe. But the reason why God gave you that platform is to point people to him. See, Samson, number one, was created with unique design. Number two, he had unbelievable demonstration of that. Number three, he had unmastered desires. He had unmastered desires in his life. Here's a guy that starts out great and ends so poorly. Here's a guy that started out with so much potential and wasted away. If you read through his story, what you find is he had desires that he fought with his whole life. A, in the area of his parents. One of the things you learn about Samson from chapter 14 is that as he grows up, he looks across enemy territory. It says in chapter 14, verse 1, that that Samson went down to Timnah and he saw a woman at Timnah, one of the daughters of the Philistines. Who are the Philistines? Are they the friendly folks or the enemy? The enemy. So here's this guy who is supposed to deliver his people from the enemy. And now he is hooking up. Now he's flirting with. Now he's hanging out with one of them. Verse two, he comes back to his father and his mother. And he said, I saw a woman in Timnah, one of the daughters of the Philistines. Now, therefore, go and get her for me as a wife. And his parents respond. Is there no woman among the daughters of your relatives, among all of our people that you could take? And here's Samson fighting A, his parents. B, if you're taking notes, the second area of unmastered desire was in the area of his pleasure. Here's a guy that wanted to show that he's the man. Here's the guy that wanted to show that he's the guy. And so later in chapter 15, he, he, he takes this, the, this moment to take those 300 foxes and to take out the enemy's fields. He does it to prove himself. Not to point people to God, not to use that platform to, to make much of God and less of himself. He uses it to prove that he's the man. So A, in the area of his parents, B, in the area of pleasure, C, in the area of his passion. I mean, one of the most famous stories from the life of Samson is found in chapter 16, where it says this in chapter 16, verse 4, after it, after this came about that he loved a woman in the valley of Sorek, whose name was what? Delilah. Ooh, right? So he ends up in a toxic relationship. 
I mean, do you see the progression? Do you see why this is so dangerous? Here's a guy that is born with unbelievable potential. Here's a guy that starts out so great. And you see that greatness come out in all the wrong ways where he fights the enemy, he takes a job. He does all these unbelievable things, but because he has unmastered desires, because he has, has all of this internal struggle, the sin going on, these unmastered desires lead to an unfulfilled destiny. And an unfulfilled destiny. Just because somebody starts out great doesn't mean that they're going to end great. He's to be the judge. He's to be the deliverer. And in the end, he becomes a slave to the enemy. Think about that. Now, if you know the rest of the story... I can feel the pushback. But Bobby, but Bobby, in the end of the story, doesn't he take down that giant building? But Bobby, I mean, uh, so here's the nutshell version of his story, is the Philistines capture him. This guy that caused them so so much havoc, this guy that, that did all these unbelievable things, the enemy captures him. And so they want to mock him. They, they, they want to show that their false God is stronger than the true God. And so what they do is they take Samson to a party where there's hundreds and hundreds of Philistines there and they mock him. They gorge his eyes out. They, they bind him there. And, and so all of this takes place. And in the middle of that moment, Samson has this remorseful moment where he begins to say, man, if I hadn't have wasted this, if I hadn't have wasted my strength, if I hadn't have wasted my influence, if I hadn't wasted my platform. And so what he begins to do is he turns to this child that's sort of watching over him. And he says to the child, hey, take me to the pillars of the house. Take me to the pillars of the building. I need to rest my hands. And so he rests against those pillars. And he prays this prayer. He says, God, would you do something through me? God, would you help me take out these Philistines? So there's some people in this room, you're like, you're saying, Bobby, you, you say he's got an unfulfilled destiny, but don't you remember? I mean, he put his hands on the pillars. Don't you remember? He, he, he prayed that big prayer. Don't you remember that God gave him incredible strength one more time and he pushed the pillars down. The building came tumbling down. The Philistines that were there were killed. Bobby, didn't that happen? Yes, but he had to die to do it. He had to die to do it. He was born into a godly family and he died a slave to the enemy. As we get ready to launch into 2014, could it be that God has something uniquely designed for you for me to do this year? Could it be that there's some amazing things God wants to do, not so we can pat ourselves on the back, not so that we can work our way up some corporate ladder, but could it be that God wants to do something in us and through us that will point more people to him? But could it be that there are some unmastered desires in my life and your life that unless we settle them, we're going to shortcut and sabotage what God's up to?